Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Recording this on a groggy Monday after a very exciting Astros Game 5 win. Uh, the amazing thing is that by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday, we will know whether or not they have won the World Series. We will be talking to someone who's been at least on the periphery of all that madness, uh, Patente Executive Chef Danny Trace, in a little bit. But first, let's do the news of the week. I am joined this week by... My good friend, local restaurant consultant, Nathan Ketchum. Nathan, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm also tired from staying up all night watching home run after home run. Yeah, the entire city, I think, has a post-Astros hangover. But duty calls. Let's push through. I think the big story from the last week has been that Cafe Annie is tweaking things again. Uh, Robert Del Grande, one of Houston's three, or rather four, James Beard award-winning chefs, had a restaurant, RDG and Bar Annie, that he rebranded back to Cafe Annie about a year and a half ago. And he announced last week that the restaurant is evolving again. It will be now known as Cafe Annie Wood Grilled Steaks and Oyster Bar. Jumping in a little bit on the steakhouse trend, but still keeping some of the Cafe Annie elements. Um, there's some other changes to go along with a new menu. Uh, part of the dining room has been partitioned off into an event space that they are somewhat cheekily calling Annie Hall. And then the downstairs that has never really been very well integrated in the restaurant is going to be partitioned off and it will be called the prime room. It will serve a prefix menu, uh, a 30 seat space with a prefix menu uh, that should roll out in the beginning of November, mid November. And it will be, uh, the first menu will be built around prime rib, which until now has been something that Cafe Annie has only served really on New Year's Eve. Uh, it's kind of been a tradition of Robert's. His comments about these changes are interesting in that he wants to focus on food that he really loves. Uh, the, the designation of the prime room has to do with things that are complete in and of themselves. Oysters, you just shuck them. Maybe you throw a little mignonette on it, maybe a little cocktail sauce, but they're they're basically good to go. Prime rib, slice it, season it, roast it. Relatively uncomplicated food. Nathan, you've you've read the articles. What do you think? Is this the is this the jump start the cafe Andy needs to kind of be back in the conversation as one of Houston's best restaurants? Well, two things. First, you season, roast, and then slice. Well, no. If you have like a primal, oh no, I guess you you roast the whole thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, secondly, just being a, a smart aleck. Uh, second, I just I'm always amazed with Cafe Annie, whether you have a restaurateur who has enough uh, kind of cachet and money to just decide, oh, this restaurant's not working. Let's completely rebrand it every year. Um, I don't know of any any other restaurant or restaurateur in town that that has the ability to do that. It's it's always impressive. Uh, from a financial standpoint, it takes a lot of money to be able to do that. That shows the success that he's had over his lifetime here in Houston and the the loyalty he knows that he has in um, his clientele. Uh, but two, I, I do believe that going to kind of uh, oyster steaks while still maintaining some of his classics is a really smart idea, especially in kind of the era that is uh, that Del Grande's in. He's a, He's a little bit older as a chef. This kind of lets him kind of play the favorites that he's he's maintained over a really long career. He can cook prime rib, which is always a favorite. He can serve some other steaks. He can do his uh, is it, what type of enchiladas does he do? Like the the signature rabbit enchiladas. The rabbit enchiladas yeah, not going anywhere. Um, he's got some few lobster dishes that have always been popular. Um, things like that. Just put them on the menu. They're going to be very popular. Um, I think it's a much better idea, and it's going to be a much better financial financial um, situation for them as a restaurant. He doesn't have to try to be amazingly creative and do these wild, crazy dishes. He can just do a do a menu that he knows is going to be popular and 
you know, maybe make money from changing the restaurant three times in the last four years? Well, no, we, we should be fair. This is the this is the second change for the restaurant since it moved down the street to its location on Post Oak. It's been down there for seven, eight years now. Yeah, I'm being a smart aleck again. But Yeah, just uh, in the interest of factual accuracy and also because Robert's going to come on the show in a couple of weeks to talk about this. Yeah, he's a fantastic chef, uh, which I think is a, it's a really um, smart thing for him to, to do a menu of favorites, and then that way he can focus in on honing some really cool creative things for his uh, price fix menu. Um, yeah, and let me say, they did the they did the prime rib menu for a group of media and a couple of restaurateurs last week. It was a, it's a dry aged prime rib. It was phenomenal. And he served it with, he served it with shrimp remoulade as a starter and then potatoes a la go, which are like mashed potatoes with a whole bunch of cheese and then a little bit of like prime rib trimmings in them and some au jus. I mean, just simple classic food. Robert said all the dishes have been around for a hundred years or more. I mean, I would go eat that menu again tomorrow. Very happily. I'm a huge fan of simple classic food. Restaurants that serve food that people actually want to eat instead of trying to innovate happen to do this thing called make money. It's a it's a really unique thing um, in restaurants nowadays. But it's, it's yeah. As a, as a consultant, is that sort of the preferred mode, or is that some new trend that restaurants would make money? Uh, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but it's sure something I try to steer people to. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's definitely something that uh, you you try to teach people. You know, cook food that people want to eat. Cook classic food, especially. You can do your own unique twist to it. Um, but if you do really, really well done food, especially classic interpretations or interpretations of classic foods, then you're you're gonna do well. Especially a chef like uh, Robert Grande, who's gonna do. These food, uh, the, these dishes. He's gonna he's gonna treat them right. He's gonna use excellent ingredients, and then more than likely he's gonna do really crazy, great uh, new dishes. You know when he wants to as specials or on on his different menus, and that's gonna give him a chance to you know innovate when he wants to, and and um, you know just rely on the classics when he doesn't. Right, and he certainly seems very excited about this. He spoke very passionately about it. As I said, we'll have Robert on in a couple of weeks to talk about these changes in this decision and kind of where Cafe Annie, where he sees Cafe Annie. But just based on what I got to eat last week, I'm very excited about this new direction. And, and I think it will get me back to Cafe Annie sooner than later. Well, I think uh, them focusing on oysters is going to be very smart. Houston is losing one of the great oyster destinations right now with uh, Salt Air closing. So, well, and Holly's had a great oyster program, and that just closed too. So it's a good time for them to really kind of open up the menu and, and do some some great oysters and hopefully not have crazy prices and you know have some great mignonettes and sauces and things to go with the oysters and maybe be a destination. Yeah, he did this kind of avocado salsa verde with like some charred shishito in it that it was a little bit creamy and a little bit spicy. And, you know, you want that kind of, I mean, really an, a, just kind of complimented the natural briny sweetness of an oyster. Just a really smart sauce. And, and I think, you know, you've talked about how accomplished Robert is. It's, it's impressive. He's been a force in Houston's culinary world for almost 40 years and still innovating, still relevant, still engaged, Still there. I mean, you can you can find him there, uh, working in the kitchen pretty much all the time. So, an exciting new opportunity for Cafe Annie, and hopefully something that will draw some people in if they maybe had written it off as Southwestern or or couldn't quite connect to what he was serving before. Yeah, I think that was one of the the issues with uh, Cafe Annie, Bardo Grande, all of the the kind of iterations. It wasn't the food; it was just that. Southwestern food had gotten kind of a rap, a bad rap, and people viewed it as one specific thing, and that was not what he was doing. He was doing his version of it, and I mean, he was the king of it, but he had also kind of uh, recently reinvented what he was doing. He was doing these really 
um, you know, kind of modernized versions of it. And uh, but people didn't view that; they still were thinking of, uh, you know, whatever they were, whatever their parents were eating in 1985. Yeah, the King King Ranch chicken or whatever. All right. Well, let us let us move on. We have news from Austin. Don't usually cover Austin restaurant news, but this is uh, two titans of the Texas food world. There's really no way around it. Uh, James Beard Award winner Tyson Cole, the chef owner of Uchi, including the Uchi here in Houston, and Aaron Franklin, literally the most famous pitmaster on earth, Franklin Barbecue in Austin. Also are, a James Beard Award Also winner. a James Beard Award winner. Are joining forces on a new barbecue concept that Uchi's parent company, High Hospitality, is opening called Loro. Aaron is going to assist in creating the dishes for Loro. He will be in the kitchen when it opens. Uh, my colleague Brandon Watson has a full report about this on Culture Map Austin that I will link to in the article that goes along with this podcast. I mean, this sounds like a restaurant I really want to eat at. And, and this merging of... Texas barbecue and Japanese cuisine has been a huge hit for the ramen tatsuya guys at their restaurant, Kimuri Tatsuya. And so it seems like Loro is kind of taking this a step up. Yeah, Tyson, uh, they announced Loro, what, a month, two months ago? Yeah, earlier this year. Yeah, and it sounded, I already, it was already on my top three restaurants to to try of new restaurants. I was wondering if, if um, uh, if they were going to bring a pitmaster in, yeah. Well, I was wondering specifically if Aaron was was going to be consulting or kind of hidden hidden in the group, anyways, because he and Tyson have been buddies for a while, um, and they're they're both you know when we talk about Austin food, they are you know the biggest. You can't get any bigger in, in Austin food, uh, but to to have it finalized, to have the fact that uh, they're together in this venture, I think it's just going to be crazy. Um, they're both so detail oriented and how they do what they do. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting meshing and they're both so different in how they do things with uh, Aaron, big giant, bold flavors and Tyson kind of very vegetable focused, very, um, you know, small, unique dishes. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they mesh. And I think it's going to be a really, really fun, cool concept. And the, I think the flavors are going to be out of this world. Yeah, one of the things that has been in the coverage of this news is that Aaron Franklin has an interest in these kind of lighter, uh, vinegar-based, you know, acidic elements to kind of cut the richness of barbecue. I know that's something Daniel Vaughn has been writing about recently, something he would like to see more of in barbecue. It doesn't have to be heavy black pepper, all sugar, all sweet. I mean, the, the culinary possibilities for this are, are basically endless. Oh, I agree. Smoked everything is is an option at this restaurant, which I think are, is great. There's going to be a lot of smoked vegetables. Uchi in Austin was already playing around with a lot of smoked vegetables. They had a smoker out back. They had actually kind of learned a little bit from Aaron on that um, originally, which I think is why this uh, kind of arrangement kind of worked out. Um, but their vegetables were were a big hit. I, I think recently they've been smoking other things, which is how this Loro thing kind of uh, came into being. But uh, it all kind of lends itself with the, the Japanese fusion because um, there's a lot of smoked or charred influences in Japanese food. Um, so the flavors kind of lend, lend together. But um, using the, the high acid or the vinegar, uh, leaving off all of the really strong sugars and things that some of the some of the pitmasters kind of lean lean on heavily. Uh, I'm obviously a really big fan of the strong black pepper, but that's a personal thing. But I also really like to use vinegar to to kind of keep a good mouthfeel or keep you know keep a wash on on all of that fat. So I, I think this restaurant is hopefully going to try to to balance the flavors, um, so that way you don't get an overwhelming. All of the strong fat, all of the strong smoke. It's just going to be one bite, one, um, you know, one bite. Not everything's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be really nice. Well, that's and that's always been a Uchi signature. I mean, my favorite dish at Uchi is the foie gras nigiri, right? An incredibly rich, 
incredibly flavorful bite. And then you have it and you're done and you eat Brussels sprouts or mochi cure or whatever. So the idea of a menu that sort of riffs on that heavily seasoned, heavily flavored, but a bite and then you're done and then you move on to something else with, with an element that refreshes your palate and keeps you wanting to eat more. And also interestingly, obviously at a slightly lower price point than Uchi, and uh, it will be open for lunch, which is not, you know, something, it's their first restaurant that will be open for both lunch and dinner. Certainly intriguing. Uh, maybe, I don't know, if I get the chance to, to talk to Tyson or any of the Uchi people, it's like, when is, when is this coming to Houston and when is Top Knot there? Is the Kaya in Dallas coming to Houston? Because it sounds like we need all three of those now. I agree. Houston uh, very badly needs some more uh, really strong Japanese-influenced restaurants. Well, we have, we have really good sushi right now, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but more creative Japanese cooking, more fusion-y Japanese cooking. Just, just that's, I think that's kind of the next step for us as a, as a restaurant world. Yeah, not specifically sushi, more Japanese uh, izakaya specifically, um, you know, Japanese beer houses and uh, just Japanese restaurants in general. But we've got some pretty good sushi places in Houston. All right. Well, let's hit one more news item. I know we're, we're running a little bit long, but we have uh, the worst kept secret in Houston food is no longer a secret. Patrick Fijis and his wife, Chef Aaron Smith Fijis are going to open their first Fiji's Barbecue location in Greenway Plaza, the same food court that is already home to Greenway Coffee, uh, the first location of the Rice Box, and Burger Chan. You know, I, I think this rumor has been floating around out since, uh, since the summer. I think we've hinted at it on the podcast a little bit. I think it's an interesting opportunity for Aaron and Patrick to kind of refine their concept right in a in a place with a captive audience i think the press release said there's 13,000 people that work at greenway plaza surely a couple of hundred of them a day will be in the mood for some form of barbecue we've we've been to some of the fiji's barbecue pop-ups they're doing like roasted eggplant that's very unusual they're doing an indian spiced coleslaw that i've really liked so they're they're playing around with some stuff that's a little bit different um, but they're also, I mean, Patrick's a good pit master and he's making very good traditional central Texas style barbecue. I think it's a good addition to Greenway Plaza. I think it's an interesting opportunity for them. Nathan, what do you think? I think it's a really smart idea. It's, uh, people's first initial reaction seemed to be like, what, what are they doing? They're going to be in a food court, but it's a, it's a good place for them to, to kind of, uh, make their bones. And if you think about it, you know, Greenway's first, uh, Greenway coffee's first place was there. They've blossomed out of that location and they now have multiple different you know storefronts and they even have their own you know roasting operation uh rice box first uh, i guess they had the food truck first but then they had their first storefront there and now they have a you know a brick and mortar restaurant burger chan is in there and you know personally burger chan could easily take what they're doing and open a burger or a brick and mortar if they wanted to um, I think it's a really good place. There's a captive audience, captive audience with enough money to pay for, you know, a little bit more upscale of a lunch and they don't want to go anywhere else except the food court. It's a really nice, well-designed, modern food court and uh, people like better food than, than just kind of your normal chainy, you know, fast food options. Yeah. And I think the, the management at Greenway, they've renovated the space, they've rebranded it. One of the things they would like to do is start to be open on the weekends. They, they tried that a couple of weeks ago. They didn't promote it very well. I don't know how many people showed up. But if they can market that and draw in people, because I, I know that it's hard. If you work a nine-to-five downtown or, or in any neighborhood that isn't Greenway Plaza, you're not going to be able to fuck off for two hours at lunch to go to Greenway Plaza to go to Fiji's Barbecue or Burger Chan. Like, it's just not... You know, we're, we're lucky. We have a flexible schedule. And it's literally my job to go to these places. So I have a built-in excuse. But I know that it is difficult for other people who would be really excited to support these businesses to get out and support them. So we'll see. I mean, if, if that comes to pass and, and they can really build a following, then they'll really have something. And if not, it's a great amenity for uh, the people who work in Greenway Plaza and people like us that 
you know, can drive a little bit and don't mind the hassle of parking underground. Yeah, it seems like the the new owners of Greenway are interested in turning uh, the food court into more of a food hall, so where it's open at the weekends or open at night. But I don't know how receptive the uh, you know the vendors are. They seem to be doing pretty well financially just doing lunch. So uh, you know, adding more hours doesn't seem. You know, they have a pretty good lifestyle just doing lunch. Um, so adding more hours might not be the most fun thing. But if you make money, then it's always worth it. Yeah, and I had the chance to talk to Aaron and Patrick a little bit this weekend. They're cautious about the prospects of being open on the weekend, but they will be open until 5 o'clock. They, they think that barbecue to go for dinner will be a component of their business. That might be a possibility for people. you know. And they're going to do some of the stuff that he did at Southern Goods. They're going to do the beef belly burn ends. They're going to do the pulled pork uh, baked sweet potato. I mean, they it's, it's going to be an X. It's excuse me, it's going to be a mix of traditional barbecue and some stuff that's a little more adventurous. And they're they're aiming for a more affordable price point. So I know that, you know, when I go to lunch at the pit room, by the time I get, you know, a three-meat plate and a couple of sides and a and a drink, it's it's 20 bucks. They're, they're shooting for closer to 12. So I think that will help them too. Yeah, if you can eat good barbecue for $12 a person, that's uh, pretty staggering. In yeah. this city. Yeah, you're not going to get a three-meat plate for that, but you will get a barbecue entree, whether it's a sandwich or a baked potato and a side or whatever. Uh, you know, we'll see what they do. That is coming. They're, they're not going to commit to a timeline, at least not within my earshot, but January, February of next year, we should we should have Fiji's Barbecue to look forward to. All right. I think that is going to do it for the News of the Week. We will be right back with the Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? For the restaurants of the week, Nathan, you and I have not had a chance to dine together at a new restaurant in the last week, but I've had a couple, well, but but we had a, a semi-recent experience uh, at Poke Works, the New York City-based Poke shop that's just opened at, at Heights and I-10. We had a pretty good meal. I mean, I, I, you know, I always feel like these Poke shops are all kind of the same, but we really like Poke Works. Yeah, I was a little hesitant about the place after you told me that they were the uh, poke burrito place in town. But uh, I got a poke bowl and I enjoyed it. Uh, it had a lot of good texture to it. Fish was good. Sauce was good. Rice was good. I was happy. Price was great. Um, yeah, the place looks good. Staff was friendly and knowledgeable. And I, I got a poke burrito and I, I actually kind of liked it. I feel bad about it, but I kind of liked it. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I would dislike a poke burrito. I'm just not going to order it and then pretend like I would dislike it. <laughs> um, and I think I think the thing that sort of sets Poke Works apart is that their protein options are a little broader. Uh, they have chicken. They have tofu. It's not just fish. It's designed to be very approachable. The bowls have been there's there's some chef designed bowls, or you can obviously you can go on your own. I didn't see any of like the super crazy stuff. Like when I when I see the flaming hot Cheetos as as one of the options on the the poke menu, I always get a little bit suspicious. But I, I thought poke works kept things a little bit more traditional, and I thought the flavors all kind of worked well together. Yeah, it seems to be a little bit more franchisable, chainy version. But the food was good. The quality of the fish was was good. The rice was actually very good. Uh, the sauces were. Were the one I got was a spicy sauce, which I I like, and then the 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 little options that come with it were nice. There was puffed rice options that were uh, a little better than some of the the places in town that just taste like Rice Krispie treats. Um, I guess not the treat, but the Rice Krispies themselves. Um, and then some of the the little you know the little wasabi pieces, the seaweed, the things like that. Uh, they were good as fresh. Uh, everything you want in a bowl of poke without uh, getting too sugary or anything like that. Yeah, and I think my poke burrito with the drink was, I want to say it was like 13 bucks. That's eminently reasonable. It's twelve sixty-five. Even better. All right, and then the one other restaurant I do want to talk about is Kukuri. This is the new sushi restaurant that opened on Washington Avenue. I went there about a week after they opened with a couple of friends. Uh, did not have a great experience ordering a la carte from the menu. Uh, the restaurant invited me at their expense to come and try their omakase, 
which I readily accepted because the chef there, Chef Ishikawa, has worked at Jewel Baco in New York City, which has a Michelin star. And they have recruited a new general manager who spent about six months at Uchi and before that was in New York City working for a number of fine dining restaurants. And and I think that uh, Emeka, the new general manager, may have been the piece that Kukuri was missing because the, the ownership wants to create a very authentic Japanese experience. But the way it was presented, I think, could be confusing. It certainly confused me in terms of reading the menu and trying to understand what was going on. Uh, he has upgraded the beverage program in terms of their uh, wine, beer, and sake selection. And and he's kind of that ambassador that can speak to diners about what's on the menu and kind of translate it for them. Uh, but obviously when you when you sit for omakase, uh, there's not really a menu. It's just sit down and, and he fires away at you. Uh, everything we had was really good. It started with a couple of little bites. There was, uh, there was a, a sashimi course, which had jellyfish on it, which was something that I had never had before. There was uh, some seared cod and some seared Japanese beef that was very good. And then just piece after piece of nigiri, uh, all kinds of fresh selections drawn from that day's menu, highlighted, of course, by Toro. And then it finished with three kinds of uni, uh, Mexican, Californian, and Japanese. Uh, I am a devout uni fan. This is this is the way to my heart. And, and obviously, when you're not paying for a meal, you worry about, not getting the same version of it that other people are getting. We, we happen to be sitting between uh, some other couples that were also experiencing the omakase. They tended to get the dishes like a couple of minutes before us. So I, I can tell you that if nothing else, like Chef Ishikawa was serving and slicing all the pieces uh, for the people on our sides. Uh, they, were, they got the same experience that we did. And I, and I think what we got was a representative version of what you get when you pay. I think it's about $170. I would be hard-pressed to say that it is quite at the same level as the omakase I had at MF Sushi about a year ago. Uh, that was a little bit more expensive just because the, the number of courses was a little bit longer and because and Chris Kinjo is a madman who will not stop. But... I think it compares very favorably with that experience. I think it compares favorably with Kata Robata's, although it made me want to go back to Kata for a, a full omakase. It's been a while since I've done that. But I think Kakuri is kind of rounding into form, and really the only question is, can the ownership be patient enough and kind of let this restaurant build a reputation and earn a clientele of people who want a fairly authentic, fairly traditional Japanese experience in an environment that is you know, pretty simple, pretty straightforward and a somewhat unlikely location on Washington Avenue. But of course, you know, B&B Butchers is basically next door. That's been very successful. So there is a market for upscale dining in that part of the city. If they can pull some, some of that downtown crowd, I think they're, they're in a position to be potentially really successful. So you would put it in, say, top five sushi restaurants in the city as of right now? I would, I would put that omakase in the top five of sushi restaurants. I don't know what it's like to sit. I, I'd have to go back to sit in the dining room and have like the rolls and the entrees and the tempura and all that before I'd say, I could say definitively that it joins my top three, which are MF, Koo, and of course, Kata is still my number one. But it, the first time I went, I felt like there's no way. And now having been there, I, I appreciate what they're doing. And I'm certainly open to going back and, and probably pretty soon. How would you rate the the sushi rice itself? That, so, that's my uh, kind of key. So it's interesting. He uses, um, so it didn't have like the sharp vinegar tang. It was It was more lightly seasoned, but it was very fluffy. The texture was very good. And of course, he's pulling from it to form the, the pieces individually for the nigiri. It had like a, a little bit of a, like a soy sauce. Uh, element added to it that I thought complemented the fish really well. I I think you will like this. Cool. I'll definitely have to be there pretty soon. All right. That does it for Restaurants of the Week. We will be right back with Danny Trace from Patente. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is 
brought to you by our friends at Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find Eighth Wonder on tap walls and on store shelves all over the city, but there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's a it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston, and there's really no place better to go before a game than Eighth Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry-hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their Side Hustle, which is a barrel-aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And of course, one of the fun things about going to Eighth Wonder's Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently, they added David Attic's 36-foot-tall statues of the Beatles. John, Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident, I don't know. But definitely check out 8th Wonder. Have a beer, have a bite from the YouTube boys, and enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to 8th Wonder, and here is our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Danny Trace, the executive chef of Patente and Oso and Cristala, the fine dining and more casual Italian restaurants in downtown owned by Astro's owner, Jim Crane. Danny, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Great. I mean, it's been a, you know, a fun packed weekend. I must say the past couple weekends, you know, with the Strohs. So it's unbelievable. Yeah. You guys are right in the middle of all of the playoff madness. I mean, you're, you're the closest restaurant to the ballpark. What's that been like? I mean, it, it's kind of surreal, you know, being, you know, what I've been doing. And, and I don't know, it's amazing to see these just thousands of people coming, you know, in and out of the restaurants and, and coming through the restaurants. It's, um, it, it's very surreal. It's just, a, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't write it any better for these two restaurants. And then, I mean, are you, are you hosting the players? Are you hosting like visiting celebrities? Have you had the, the Fox broadcast crew in? I mean, what, what kind of, what's the action been like? Well, the action has been insane. You know, before the games, uh, we've been opening up early, four o'clock, and, uh, you know, everybody's coming in, getting their, their bites, their, their drinks on, and, uh, you know, um, pre game, you know, pre party. Um, and then, um, you know, we see, all you know celebrities we see players you know ex-players you know there's things signed up people signing balls and i mean it it it's it's craziness it's festive it's fun it's it's insane at the same time so (laughs) um i mean when did you you've been in patente what since about april May, yeah, April, a, a, April, May. Yeah. What, what month is this? What day is this? Eric? I'm sorry. The <laughs> it's, past it's couple the, weeks have been insane. It's, it's the end of October. Yeah. I, I know, I know we Halloween. booked these, we booked these a month in advance and I, and I never would have guessed that we would be talking about you being in the middle of the world series. And yet here we are. I, I know, I don't know who's writing it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing it, but I tell you what, whoever wrote this, you know, the way the Astros have, have come through, um, Again, Patente, also Cristala. Um, it's insanity. I, I, can't, I can't explain it. You really have to see it for yourself. The thousands, and I'll say it again, thousands of people that are coming through the doors. It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, the after parties that we have, you know, you're talking about players and, and uh, some celebs. You know, it's, it's, it's high profile over there at Patente. Let me let me just take kind of a step back from that because you you worked at Brennan's for about ten years. You you were the yeah. I came over and reopened the joint, and uh, you know had a great time with those guys. God bless the Brennan family, and and uh, you know got to meet everybody in the city and and play the Creole game for a while. Um, you know if you if you think about um, uh, Potente also Cristala, I have some Italian roots, and uh, if you look at Creole food in general. I mean, Italian's a big part of of that Creole culture. So yeah, how did you how did you wind up there? I mean, did 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 Bill Floyd? I know Bill Floyd is uh, <laughs> yeah. is Jim Crane's business yeah, yeah, partner yeah. in that. And, yeah. and 
How did, how did that come together? I mean, Bill Floyd, you know, it's kind of like you don't make a, a backwards move. You, you don't make a lateral move even, you know, and, and what gets more profile than um, having the opportunity to work for Mr. Jim Crane. Um, you know, and Bill Floyd, it's unbelievable to work for. Learned so much from him. He's, you know, he's very just strong, unbelievable guy, always there. I've never really seen anybody who just works so damn much. It's a, but, um, you know, it's a privilege to work there. It's happening. It's, it's, it's just vibrant, fun, and, and, you know, we're all having a good time. Working you, our asses off, but we're having a good time. <laughs> I mean, you encountered a restaurant that, I, that it opened kind of quietly, kind of in, in all that sort of pre-Super Bowl madness, and, and Mr. Crane had... Uh, I guess his his chef from his uh, his golf resort, the Floridian, mm-hmm. Michael Parker, had been kind of overseeing the restaurant, but it was it was clear. I know when I met uh, Chef Parker that that it wasn't going to be a full time position for him. You've you've changed things pretty fast. I mean, you, you put your own stamp on the menu. How would you describe the food that you're serving? In in terms of what you're doing at at well, let's start with Patente, I guess. Um, Patente, you know, everything's is definitely refined. Um, you know, if you think of Italian food, most of the time it's uh, quality three ingredients. Well, you know, have to definitely step that game up. But to me, it's like I'm continuing to do the same things that I've I'm kind of done and put my stamp on and known for. Um, you know, using seasonal products. Um, I'm using all the same purveyors and farmers and fishermen. Um, it's just, you know, a little, uh, more Italian, in, um, accent, more Italian influence to the dishes, which, you know, kind of, again, it's kind of Creole and Italian go hand in hand. So it's kind of, you know, easy for me. Well, and, and I think that that kind of elevated Italian food with kind of a Southern perspective and, and local ingredients, I, you know, I've, I've been sort of joking. It's it's kind of cultivare with a sport coat on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, man. I, you know, I love uh, Ryan Perra and, and, and the things that those guys do and do an outstanding job. And, and uh, yeah, that I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. You know, it's just the quality of ingredients, really focusing on the plate uh, and consistency. You know, consistency is the, the key to any of these restaurants. And, um, you know, that's what we shoot for day in and day out and just being hands-on. I mean, I've been... Hands on and hands on and, and seriously hands on, you know, <laughs> yeah. 15 hours a day. But, you know, the party doesn't stop, you know, when when the um, last ticket comes in. Yeah. And I know uh, I feel like Patente has been flying under the radar a little bit, but the word of mouth has been very good. People keep people keep saying to me how much they're enjoying the experience there. I mean, do you, do you feel like the World Series is kind of going to give you guys the push to maybe maybe raise your profile a little bit? I mean, to talk about exposure, uh, that, that is some serious exposure. So, you know, it, it's, it's grabbing them. And, um, you know, when they come in the door and, and just making sure that their experience there is a very memorable one and, and delivering that, you know, the genuine, I mean, we're all Southern, genuine Southern hospitality in there. So, you know, if we keep giving that, everything else is going to work itself out. Yeah, and your uh, your sommelier Vinny. I can never yeah, remember Vinny's Vinny, last man. name. Yellow or something. My, it, it's definitely long in Italian, but the guy is awesome. Yeah, he awesome. was he was a fixture in the dining room at Tony's for years and years. I mean, just talk about that warm spirit. Always happy to see people. Remembers everybody's name. Uh-huh. So charming. Like, what a great kind of liaison between between you and the diners. Someone who can sort of make people feel welcome. And, and because I think sometimes that fine dining, you, you're dressed up, it can be a little bit intimidating. But but when you've got someone like Vinny in the dining room, I think it just makes that whole experience a lot more approachable. Yeah, and, you know, speaking Italian, writing Italian, I mean, it need, definitely needed that boost. And it's, you know, it's a it's a it's definitely a, a, a learning process, if you will. You know, and know the food, but, you know, things that surround it, uh, you know, definitely... Um, formal Italian writing and those types of things. He's definitely come through, man. He knows his uh, wines very well and just an overall pleasure with the guests. And then let's talk about Oso and Cristala too, because I, I know you're, you're responsible for supervising them. I know Nathan and I ate there in August. It felt like a little bit more of a work in progress. Yeah. Where, where are you in terms of putting your stamp on that restaurant? Well, um, 
we definitely changed menus um, since then. We, um, you know, putting uh, putting some menus together now. I mean, they're getting proofed. Um, should be printed in another week. Um, you know, the newer menus are going to have, of course, a, a fall winter feel to them. Um, again, um, you know, a lot more local feel to it. Um, you know, a Creole influence, if you will. Um, and yeah, we're just, you know, it's, there's no history. There's no history with these two restaurants. And for something to happen like the Astros and, and, and the stuff going on, it's, you know, it's a learning process and we're, we're moving quickly with the punches. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of vision for a casual Italian restaurant that serves like good pasta and pizza and it's got some craft beer on tap. I mean, if you're the downtown Polly's, like, that would be incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, we're headed to, you know, take all these restaurants that have been successful forever and just try to, you know, um, take that consideration and put things together. I mean, and we have, you know, the, the wood-burning oven over there, so we're doing some badass pizzas, you know. Um, um, we um, make pastas in-house, um, have some homemade pastas over there, wood-fired grill. I mean, we spend some ungodly amount of money on on wood you know a week but you know it's it makes a difference and and that's that's what we do you know it's 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 making a difference using a lot more uh local products in a restaurant like like uh also cristala are you still serving breakfast yes breakfast has been you know uh um, yes we are serving breakfast and that's one that we certainly uh you know um are able to expand now um you know with the staff uh, building a team, building a serious team that, you know, we all have the same vision. So um, we do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, and you have that, you, you have, you have two things that you'd probably help with that. You're, you're at 500 Crawford. Mm-hmm. So of course you have all those residences and, and that part of downtown is just booming in terms of new construction. And then, so those people are, are always looking for a breakfast option and a coffee option. I'm sure. Yeah, if there was one good thing that I could say about damn Harvey was, uh, you know, moving people into the downtown area. So these places are filling up and, you know, the construction continues. So I think most of those places in there, uh, you know, 75, 80, 85 percent occupied. So, Danny, what was your kind of personal history with Italian food? What about what about this restaurant made it seem like the next step for you after Brennan's? I think that. You know, growing up, my grandmother was Italian. Uh, my grandfather was Cajun. My grandmother never cooked. My, grand, my grandfather always did, you know. Um, I grew up around etouffees and, and gumbos and things. Um, you know, made that when I was, as soon as I could start cooking. Uh, my grandmother, though, she always liked to go out and eat, you know. So we'd go to the smaller little restaurants the italian restaurants you know the ones with the back door and and you know it kind of felt like a a a mob scene um and and i i just strictly remember the um you know the lasagnas that was like my favorite food as a kid um the meatball po'boys in louisiana i mean you um you know that I kind of just use that model of those things, you know, we're talking about also in Cristala, you know, how that um, is starting to evolve. I mean, I just want to put some things on that um, just take me back to those days, you know, Um, and put things on like that badass lasagna and and use fresh pasta and, and, you know, um, some local beef and things, making the bolognese. Um, And, Right, right now I have a meatball po' boy on. You know, I mean, it's it's just quality things, simple ingredients, just things that that take me back. And then, what's it like working for Jim Crane? I mean, how how involved is he? I mean, is he is he there all the time? I mean, like, well, he's like entertaining right now for sure. You know right. what I mean? But um, yeah, he's there, and he, and you know, he's the guy who will pick up paper at, coming in the front door. You know, if the wind blows something that way, or. You know, he, he is, uh, he gets things done. He, he, he's a guy who will seriously get things done. Doesn't like the flower beds in the front. It's changed the next day. Um, that's the kind of guy, you know, and, and he likes what he likes, you know, um, as far as food, you know, lighter food, um, very flavorful food. Um, and I, I don't know, he's just about the coolest guy you could ever work for. Yeah. 
my impression, even from when I spoke to Chef Parker when the restaurant opened, was that his employees are very loyal. That they've been there, they've been with him for a long time. Uh, you certainly have that with the the Brennan family mm-hmm. for a long time. I mean, does this feel like a, a place where you could be for five or ten years? Yeah, it certainly feels like home. You know, it's it, it's it's happy, it's um, healthy, it's just I, I, I don't know. You know, the guy's a visionary. You know, he's um, he's building downtown, and I'm certainly lucky to be there and lucky to be a part of this team that's that's pushing forward and and, and doing great things in downtown. Yeah. So, you, do you guys make all of your pasta in house? Um, except for the rigatoni right now, but you know, it's, it's getting the equipment that, um, you know, is needed, but everything else is, is, is made in house. Yeah. I have a guy who works there eight hours just doing pastas, which is, you know, unbelievable. It's unbelievable to watch and touch and feel. And there's so many different things that you can do, you know, different fillings and it's, it's unlimited. Very unlimited. So it's all by hand, not an extruder? Uh, we are not using an extruder. It's all by hand. That's really impressive. No, it's very cool. It's very cool to watch how fast these guys are and, and uh, be able to work side by side with them and, and learn some of the techniques. It's, it's, it's craziness. Does he have the wood, wood pasta tools? Oh, the, um, the guitar, the cutters and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I used that, and I actually ordered a $2,000 machine so we can you know, start rolling stuff out and cutting uh, spaghetti and stuff. Yeah. That's, so that's awesome. cool, man. It's it's very cool. Well, that's that's good enough reason for Houston to go try the food right there. Yeah, go check it out. I mean, it you know, handmade pastas, quality ingredients. I mean, it's it's what you know is going to make the place shine for sure. Yeah, you said the three ingredient rule, which is impressive yeah. right there because yeah. most chefs don't even know that yeah, yeah. when it comes to Italian food. So that's crazy. I mean, it's it's about as basic and clean as it gets. Yeah. And, and so, well, and I know I had dinner there in august and and you know i was there with a friend of mine and usually we we share food but you know some of those dishes at the table i mean there was a there's a burrata salad that hit the table and she just kind of put her arm up like i started to reach over with my fork and it was like put your hand on my you know put your hand on my plate you're gonna lose it um and we've been to some nice places together we've been to kata together we've been to the past together uh she definitely ranks patente as as the best meal she's had in my company which I think, you know, I think you're, you're definitely reaching people. I think it's, it's really just a matter of kind of fighting the good fight and getting the word out. Yeah, you know, it is. And, and you know, getting the word out is one thing, you know, and, and being ready, you know, building that team um, and, and having a core. You know, we had a core. And now it's just to get everything put in line. And, um, and that's what we're pushing for. You know, we have the talent there. It's just um, we're, I think we're ready. Eric, I think we're ready, man. The, you, the first Super Bowl is what, uh, you know, got Vic and Anthony's to take off as a restaurant. They were they were not doing super great before that. After the the first Super Bowl, they were just gangbusters. So maybe this this will be your your version of that. Yeah, no doubt. It's certainly the platform is there, and like like I said, it's just an insane amount of people. I mean, what a billboard, you know, r- yeah. right? all the people are just exiting out of the stadium, passing in front of your joint. And, you know, there's only so many seats in there, and, and they were quite full. They were quite full. Yeah, just looking on social media, I've seen a lot of people talk about uh, Oso and Cristala as the mm-hmm. place to go for for pre- and post-bites. Uh, Man, I, I love Oso and Cristala. I mean, it's, it's just so much fun, you know. I, I, did, I haven't been able to run a, a laid-back envi- environment like that, you know, and... Um, you know, but still being serious about the food. Um, so to me, it's just something that's it's very exciting. It's something that's being created, like you're, like you're talking about, Eric. You know, it's something that I'm putting my stamp on and, and helping to create, helping to mold and helping to define. And it, it's insane. I mean, the patio outside is outstanding. Um, the bar we have in there, I mean, if you're a sports fan, there's TVs everywhere. I mean, it, there's something in there for everyone. All right, so we definitely owe Oso and Cristala another chance. Yeah, you certainly do, and uh, I'm telling you, it's stepping up that game. All right, well, Danny, I think we have reached the end of the formal interview. We're done already. But do you have, well, I don't know, is there something else you want to talk about? No, I'm good, man. I'm just <laughs> playing around. I need, a, I need a nap, Eric. I need I, a nap. We, the entire are, are, are you getting to watch any of the baseball? Yeah, I do. You, know, you guys we, have a TV in the in the back kitchen watching we, the games? We do. You know, we even we even have we have TVs at Patente. So in the bar, you know, up high there's TVs and 
there's a couple of back rooms behind some pictures that you know there's a TV or two and and yes we uh you know are able to watch the games and uh celebrate go Astros <laughs> while you're uh, wearing a Braves jacket I know huh? well you know this is back in the day and the color was right so you know <laughs> all right well before we let you go we do have uh our little lightning round five easy questions five short answers uh just say the first thing that comes to mind you ready I was hope I was hoping that I didn't have to ask the questions. You do not have to ask. I have the questions. Um, what's the first concert you ever attended? Genesis. <laughs> uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Um, that would have to be now Altuve. Nice. Yeah. You've had him in the restaurant, I assume. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? Uh, I'd have to say um, Boudin. Where do you go for boudin here in Houston? Well, here in Houston, no. I get it, you know, from a best stop down in Louisiana. Um, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Oh, that would have to be Brothers. That's a good answer. Yeah, Same. I love Brothers. Um, and what's the one, other than, other than places you either have worked or are currently working, what's your favorite restaurant to take an out-of-town visitor? Um... Tough question there because there's a lot of great places. I mean, um, if I had to choose one, it'd have to be Cultivar. It's a strong answer. Mm-hmm. Danny, thank you so much. Uh, we can follow you on Instagram, Chef Danny Trace. We can follow Patente on Instagram at Patente Houston. And of course, uh, PatenteHouston.com for all the latest goings on at the restaurant. Nathan, we can follow you on Twitter at H-Town Food Junkie. We, haven't, we still haven't shamed you in a new Twitter name yet. Uh, no, it's still there. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. And, of course, keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. I will be back next week with Graham Laborde and Teddy Lopez from Killen's STQ. Thanks so much for listening.